Listening Dog Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ with Chris Hawkins. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins and this is How to DJ. This is your chance to really show what you've got. Redefine the story every night to find the way to grab the crowd. Someone's given you a stage, bloody use it. A podcast that explores the life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of much-loved DJs, where I ask them to pick five questions from a box of 45. People don't get to see the other side of who you are and that young up-and-coming DJs as well, maybe they can be inspired. For this episode, a defected DJ. And I got up on the deck, then I looked to the side and Simon was just kind of stood there, just kind of shaking his head, smiling, and then pretty much on the Monday, that's when I got signed to the roster. And I beat the regular. I've done the full circle, pretty much played every club on the island apart from DC10. Yeah, I just want to go rave at DC10. One of the UK's most respected house DJs. The house world is one big family and we all should support each other, you know, and celebrate each other as well. And I think that's really important. And that's one thing that I've said when I first started DJing. I just want to be respected by my peers, you know, and, and I feel like I've achieved that. Sam Devine, welcome to How to DJ. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Sam, before heading into the box of questions, when did your DJ journey start? Well, I mean, I've been DJing now for 20, 21 years. Um, it was by complete accident. One of my friends used to work at Tower Records from Western Supermare, where I'm originally from. And all my friends were DJs and played in clubs around Bristol, Cardiff, in Western Supermare again. I was more into like hard dance back then. And we were at an after party once and one of my friends was just like, jump on and have a go. So I did. And obviously train crashing my way through it, but I actually really, really enjoyed it. So I just started collecting vinyl and then a DJ competition came up in my local club. And one of my friends just said, just go for it. And I think there was about six weeks to practice. And I practiced the same five records over and over and over again at the bottom of my mum's shed because she wouldn't let me in the house. She was like, what is that boom, boom, boom music? Rain or shine, I was in the bottom of my mum's garden in a shed. There was cobwebs. There was like, oh, it's gross, but we just zoned in. And I got to the club and there was another female DJ before me and she played, I think, two or three of the same records that I was going to play. So I ran into the toilet, so I was crying my eyes out. I was like, what am I going to do? I practiced this set over and over again. And my friend said, just flip it, just play the B-side. I was like, I haven't practiced it. Anyway, cut a long story short, flipped the records, played the B-side and won the competition. I then became junior booker at that club and a resident DJ, literally just warming up to bar staff every Saturday. 
I was booking Kiss FM tour nights where we were recording the whole club night live on the radio as well. And that just kind of escalated into working at a local record shop. And to start with, I gave my services free. I just said, I just want to be around vinyl. It was predominantly happy hardcore, drum and bass and hard house. That wasn't even a house section. And I was really into my soulful house and funky house. So I worked for free for a couple of months and they offered me a full-time job. So that was my life. And then I got headhunted for chemical records. I was the house buyer, which back then, hard to find, was the number one record store in Europe. And chemical records was the second. And I sat next to the drum and bass buyer. So I've got a big, big love for drum and bass. And, and yeah, and it just all kind of unraveled from there. I did my first season in Ibiza in 2005. In 2007, I met Simon Dunwright. She moved to London started running a record shop in Notting Hill. I met Erin Ross, who was at the time the A&R for Defected. They invited me to their party at Pasha in Ibiza, met Simon, and then that summer flew back and they signed me to the roster. How did Defected change your life, would you say? Oh my gosh. I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it, you know, because when I, I can still remember the very first time when Simon flew me back to London, I played Ministry of Sound. We were crew heavy. There was like 50 of us that rolled up to Ministry. And I was playing Kings of Tomorrow finally, and I got up on the decks. Then I looked to the side and Simon was just kind of stood there, just kind of shaking his head, smiling. And then pretty much on the Monday, that's when I got signed to the roster. And my first ever international show was in like Colombia with Defected. And from then, I mean, you know, I've pretty much played all over the world now. met some amazing people. They've signed my records. My record label, Divine Sounds, is now in-house with Defected as well. It's been an absolute game changer because back then there wasn't many female house DJs. It was more, I came from a hard dance background where there was a lot of female DJs, but for house, you know, I had Annie Mack as my inspiration to look up to. There wasn't very many female DJs. So for Simon to take a big risk, really, a big risk, but I just loved it so much. I just bring myself into it. And, you know, now they kind of call me the poster girl of Defective, but I'm also their main resident, their main headliner. You know, I do the radio show and, you know, I always say cut me open and I bleed defected. You know, I, I loved the label before I even got signed. And I had my defected shrine in the record store that I worked in. And yeah, and just all these opportunities that came my way, I just took them with both hands. And luckily for me, you know, I get to fly around the world every single weekend, basically. What do you remember about that first defected night in Colombia? Well, I remember it was actually a really horrendous show. <laughs> I got stuck there for three days because there was a big snow blizzard in New York and that was my connecting flight. And of course, in my 20s, I was so fearless. You go into Colombia on your own as a girl, really, you know, but I didn't even think of that. My dad was like, please call me as soon as you get there and call me every step of the way. But I was just so fearless back then and getting stuck there and not speaking the language. And luckily there was a family and they kind of took me under their wings. We were going to the airport backwards and forwards and there was armed guards outside the hotel with the AK-47. So I was like, oh my God, what is going on? And that was, yeah, my first ever defected international show. And I remember the club having a sticky carpet. <laughs> what about Ibiza, your first time there? Yeah, oh my gosh, wild. I actually went over with a friend and I was kind of jumping on the back of his gigs because he was doing like cream at Amnesia. He would set up the pre-parties at Mambo. Head candy back in the day, we used to do pool parties for cream and head candy. And there was a local bar called Hush, and I used to play in there on a Wednesday night for free, basically just for free, or, you know, 80 euros just so I could put towards 
pot noodles and Miles bars because I couldn't afford anything else to eat out nice in Ibiza. And there was a residency going at the end of that summer, 2005, and it was between myself and another female DJ. And she was way better than me. She'd been DJing way longer. We used to have so much fun playing back-to-back final sets. But she just got of her boyfriend, so she was very, very emotional. She was coming to the bar and she was crying. And at the end of the season, Jimmy, who ran the bar, was like, you've got the residency and we need to come back next year. So I ended up, I had my residency there for four years until I was the events manager defected. So I really honed in on my craft there, you know, because it was a bar, it was free entry. So if big groups would come in and if they had, you know, a little bit of their drink left, I think, right, okay, I need to pay a classic now to keep them in there, get them into the bar, buy another drink. So I learned a lot and I, I was playing seven hour sets, you know, going through everything, starting off quite soulful, deep house and then playing kind of EDM and tech house was really big then back in 2005 and just completely playing to the crowd. And what was beautiful is that people would come back every year to Hush and see me and spend four nights in Hush rather than going to a club. So I kind of built my own little kind of fan base, I guess. And then I would go to Manchester and be like, and I beat the reunion or I'd play in London, it'd be and I beat the reunion. But I learned so much from being a resident. You know, I got to warm up at Mambo's and at Pasha and Eden, where obviously we've got a residency now. So I've done the full circle, pretty much played every club on the island apart from DC 10. Yeah, I just want to go and rave at DC 10. In those early days, were you practising outside of nights that you were doing or not? I was practising every day. Finally, I think after about two years, my mum let me in the house and I had my decks on an ironing board. And me and my best friend, she was a music teacher at the local college in Western Super Mare. And we were like, right, we want to start a radio show. So this was back in the MSN messenger days, right? So we'd have all this gear and no idea. And she just basically nick it from the college on a Friday night, stick it in the back of a car, come to mine. And we'd only have about five listeners, but we thought it was absolutely brilliant. People could get involved in the chat, which obviously now we've got Twitch for that on YouTube. Or back in the day, MSN messages. So I've always loved music, even growing up, you know. My mum always had music on in the house when she was getting ready for work or getting ready to go out. So there was always love and music in my home. My first ever album that I bought was Tina Turner and I was seven years old, which I still listen to now. Were you into anything else other than music? I was into horse riding before actually I was really into music. I had a couple of horses myself and my friend said, as soon as you meet boys, you won't love horses anymore. And I was like, yeah, I will, horses till I die. And then when I got to a teenager and left school, it was just all about music. I mean, the first rave that I went to, I was 15 years old. My friends were always older, so they were like 21, 22, and they took me to my first rave. And just absolutely loved it. And I was just hooked. You know, they were sneaking me in the back doors and got to know the club owners or the promoters. And I'd be the one at the front. So probably from the age of seven, started collecting CDs and going to Woolworths with my pocket money. I remember the first tape that I bought was Chaka Dennis and Pliers, Tease Me. And then obviously when I passed my driving test, that was it. There was no stopping me. I was just like music, 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 just driving everywhere, picking up my friends, driving to parties and... A lot of my friends were drummer, bass and hardcore DJs as well. So I just used to tag along just for fun. And so I finally fell in love with house music. And it was a um, Sasha and Digweed album. Renaissance. Someone was playing that at an after party. And I was like, what is this? So I was kind of into progressive house and then naturally fell into the soulful house, which was big in the Southwest when I first started DJing. Where was that first rave that you went to when you were 15? It was Portland Manor 
And oh my God, it stank. Like the toilets were absolutely disgusting. I remember that because I recently actually played somewhere in Chile and it reminded me of the first rave that I went to. Just everyone's so happy and just really there for the music. It felt like family. And I think that was what drew me in so much is that you could meet complete strangers stood at the bar and the queue in the toilets just start chatting. And then like every single one of my best girlfriends, I met them either in the toilets in Ibiza or in a club or on a plane going to Ibiza. Like it's nuts. And that's what house music does. That's what music in general does. It brings people together. Did you ever have any other job? I always worked part-time when I left school. I always worked in call centres. And one of my clients at the time used to work on the side for Locks On Records, big garage label. So he used to just send me promos and I didn't even have a set of decks at that point. So again, I think everything kind of led into that. I just feel like everyone that I was around was really heavily into music and they were really passionate about music. So I was drawn into these situations where these opportunities rose. And then, you know, my garage collection is really pretty much from, you know, working in a call centre for Comet Home Deliveries. (laughs) I'm getting the feeling from what you're saying that your passion for music extends beyond just a love of the music. It's about the culture. Yeah, the culture. And do you know what? For me, it's the community that comes with it. You know, so I've been with Defected 16 years this year and the community that we've built is just incredible. You know, it's amazing that I can pretty much go anywhere in the world and you'll see your community there, you know, front and centre. And to me now, it's kind of like going back to all these amazing places that I get to play and experiencing the culture of the country. You know, I want to go and have the local food. I want to go and try that. Or where's the local beach or the best hotspots. I think going back to all these places now that I'm older, when you're in your 20s, you just want to rave. You just want to get drunk. You just, you know, I was too hungover to go and do any sightseeing. I feel like I'm just living my best life. <laughs> I get to, you know, play incredible music. I get to meet incredible people. Yeah, and finally, everything just feels like all the stars are aligned for me now. Some DJs say the very worst thing about the job is all the travel, but it sounds like that's the opposite for you. Yeah, I mean, the traveling, it does a million percent take out of you. I mean, last summer I did 112 shows, 20-something countries, and it was wild. But once you're in the mix, you don't really think about anything else because I do maybe three or four shows a week. I always say, like, Mondays is my down day. I don't turn on my phone. I don't set an alarm. That's my day just to chill, have some self-care, and then ready to go again. Because when you're in in the thick of it, you don't really have time to think, and all the flights are delayed. But, you know, it comes with the territory. I mean, if you ask me in June or July, I'm like, I hate DJ and I hate traveling. I hate everything in July. You're shattered, you know. And I, I did burn myself out towards the end of this year. I did back-to-back tours. I did Australia. I was home for a day. I went to South Africa. I was home for one day. I went straight to North America. I was home for one day. Had three days off for Christmas, then went straight back out to South America again. And I was like, why am I feeling sad? Because, you know, everything in my life is amazing, but, you're just exhausted, but it does come with the territory and, you know, playing out in all these amazing places really does make up for it. So my dad always says, man up, Samantha, get on with it. And that's what I do. Sleep when you can. <laughs> <laughs> Are you right on top of your game, would you say? I would say so. The thing is, I'm always searching. I'm never happy. I never settle. I feel like there's been a steady rise throughout my whole career. There's never been any kind of dips where I felt like, oh my God, like so-and-so is doing better. I don't look what anyone else is doing. I'm very much in my own lane. Kind of what makes me thrive is 
you know, bringing new artists histories on my record label. But I feel like there's always more that I could do. But when I look back on the year that I've just done, I'm like, how am I going to beat that year? And then, you know, already I'm fully booked until the 16th of December this year. So it's like, I just always, always thrive in just to be the best version I can. I recently went sober at my shows and I feel like that's just given me a whole new piece of life. I got myself a life coach to help me get through that because I was pretty much either drunk or hungover. For, I mean, I couldn't remember the last time that I was sober in 10 years, really. Not obviously during the week, but at weekends. And my mental health suffered incredibly because of that. And now I don't drink at my shows and I've just got so much more energy because of that. And I feel like I'm experimenting more. You know, I've started playing drum and bass in my sets and just playing music that I love. Whereas for a really long time, I felt like I was on autopilot. Do you feel like you get into the night in the same way sober? More so. I mean, I absolutely love playing sober now. I see everything. I can take people more on a journey, whereas I used to think I used to have to drink to get on the crowd's level, I guess. People want to go out, they want to let their hair down. You know, there's probably not many sober people in a nightclub and they deserve that. People work hard Monday to Friday and they deserve to just go out and let their hair down and, you know, leave your inhibitions at the door and just have the DJ take you on a journey. Whereas before, I kind of felt like I needed to get on that level. The first few times, when I was sober, I was like, oh my God, pass me the tequila. This is too overwhelming. But I still get super nervous when we play. After 21 years, I still get nervous. But I walk into a club and it's absolutely popping. Like I'm shaking and I have to have a straw because I literally cannot pick up my drink because I'm like shaking so much. And then the adrenaline running through me afterwards, like I'm high for like a good two or three hours afterwards. Whereas before, obviously, alcohol kind of numbs that and dumbs that down. So I just either pass out in a hotel or you know, go to an after party and, you know, nothing good happens after 6am. That's what I tell myself. So now it's nice just to go back to the hotel or I'm driving myself to all my shows now. And, you know, I feel like I'm a better person for it. And I definitely, definitely 100% prefer playing sober. Guess you're having a few more hotel breakfasts now as well. Then. Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> in 10 years, I've never seen the restaurant in a hotel ever. <laughs> now I'm literally getting up and so I'm going for a swim. I mean, that happens very rarely, but if I can, you know, try and go for a swim. But I mean, you know, getting your sleep in, in between shows is super, super important. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger, you know, I'm, I'm 42 this year and, you know, I've really, really got to start looking after myself if I want another 10 years in the game. It's, it's all about, you know, what's going on in your head. Your body is, you know, shattered and exhausted, but as long as your head's in a good frame of mind, then, you know, you can achieve anything. <laughs> Sam, time for the first of your five picks from 45 in this record box. All the questions are on 45 sleeves. You say when, I'll dip into the box, okay? And I'll pull one out when you say when. Go. Is there a secret to being a great DJ? Good question. I mean, there's many elements that make up a good DJ. And I think it's got to be more than just passion. You've literally got to eat, breathe and live it every single day. I think you have to be a good person as well and not like a selfish person. The house world is one big family and we all should support each other, you know, and celebrate each other as well. And I think that's really important. And that's one thing that I said when I first started DJing, I just want to be respected by my peers, you know, and, and I feel like I've achieved that. So I just think being a good person and 
being a selector and really knowing your music inside out. You know, I've, I've read books, I've watched documentaries, you know, I literally do live and breathe it. It's more than just getting up there and just playing records. Good answer. All right. For question two, say when? When? <laughs> What's the most famous you've ever felt? Oh, gosh. Recently, there's quite a few times because everyone's like, oh, you're a celebrity. Well, my friends, I'm like, I'm not. When my mum started watching my live streams on YouTube, that was probably when I felt a little bit famous because she never really got the music before. But going back to just randomly, I mean, I've been stopped on the underground in Australia for pictures. I've been pulled on aeroplanes and been asked for pictures. I've been pulled over in like supermarkets and asked for pictures. Just the other day, we were pulling out of a petrol station and there was a car that was following us on the motorway. And they put up on their phone, Sound of I, we love you. And they were like next to us in the car, which I thought was quite cute. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely notice it a lot more now. But yeah, my mum watching my live streams on YouTube makes me feel a little bit famous. <laughs> Do you think that your appearance is important when you're DJing? Um, I mean, I used to back in the day. I don't so much now. I mean, I hardly wear any makeup now and I just want to be comfortable. As long as I've got my Jordans on and my hair's tied up because I jump around a lot so I get quite sweaty. And as long as my nails are done and my lashes, that's kind of it for me. I just want to be comfortable. Back in the day, I used to wear like heels, dresses, put loads of makeup on because it is part of the show as well. But I think as you get older, you care less about those things and more about the actual, you know, my technical skill and the music that I'm playing. It's more about the experience, kind of. If you're confident and you feel good inside, it kind of doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. I don't feel like, you know, in in my 40s when there's, you know, younger girls coming through in their 20s, they don't have the knowledge and the experience that I have. So, I'm, you know, I'm not tripping on that. But you did care about the performance element of what you do, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, I prep for my sets because I want to give people the best experience and every time you know I've got people that might see me maybe seven times a year I, I never ever play the same set twice and for me it's really important that not only am I playing upfront music but also classics and also educating the crowd because you might have a 20 year old that's never heard of Kings of Tomorrow finally before but you've got someone who's in their 30s that have heard it a million times but to have that connection you know I always say like house music is the international language, you know, of the world. So definitely performance side of it is very, very important to me. I mean, it's the most important thing for me. How much planning goes into your set, Sam? Well, I mean, I've got kind of like my favourites that feel good tracks for myself, you know, ones that are, because you don't always feel 10-10 when you get on the decks, you know, something might have happened that day or no one can be 10-10 or perfect all the time. So I always have kind of records in my collection that if I am feeling a bit low for whatever reason that day, they're the ones that lift me up and pick me up because there's nothing worse for me. I don't want to just have my head in the mix. I never take my eyes off the dance floor, even if there's a big crew behind me. You know, people are coming in and hugging me and trying to talk to me and I'm just like, I'm very focused what's happening in front of me. So yeah, prepping my sets is really important. Like for instance, I've got, you know, various playlists my iTunes that will be like for Defector Croatia. That's not actually happening until August, but I'll hear a record and go, oh, that will sound sick on the beach day. So I'll just put it in. So sometimes I can prep six months out. I mean, I'll never ever prep a set where I play, you know, a planned set. I never do that because you never know what the crowd want anyway. I call it going fishing. 
you know, playing vocal, they're not into that. I'll go a deeper, they're not into that. Then I'll play something else, they're into that. Okay, cool, we're on a roll now. Let's go. So yeah, prepping is really, really important. Next question from the box. Say when? When? What do you wish you'd never done? Oh my gosh. That's a really difficult question, actually. There's nothing that I would go back and redo. I feel like everything that I've done, I'm exactly where I'm meant to be right now. I wish I had started producing earlier. So then it was like someone gave me advice not to produce. So I guess I wish I'd not listened to that person. But I mean, I'm producing now. So that happened in the past and this is a future and we're good to go. And how is Divine Sounds? It's amazing. I took some time out because, as I said, my mental health was suffering quite a bit with the touring schedule, producing, running a record label. There was a lot of pressure. So I took some time out. I'm working directly with Defected now, so it's in-house. I still obviously own the label and very much, you know, in charge of rebranding and what music we sign and which artists we want to bring through. And we're relaunching it the beginning of April with my first record and it's called Facing the Crowd and I've got Hayley May on the vocals. So we're going to relaunch it with a whole new look and uh, one of my own records. So I'm really excited. We've got some cool parties planned for Miami. We've got a festival lined up and uh, it's cool because, you know, it's seven years old, but I feel like I'm just starting it again because when I first started my record label, no one really was running record labels. I kind of feel like the passion and drive that we put into that, it inspired many others to follow after that. And obviously everyone's got their own record label, which is brilliant. So yeah, I'm excited to relaunch Divine Sounds. I feel like it's got a fresh new energy to it. You're an absolute force, Sam. Question four from the box, say when? When? Who's the greatest DJ on the planet? Terry Chandler, without a doubt. I've been a fan of his for nearly two decades. His work ethic is absolutely incredible. The last time that I saw him DJ, we went to DC10 together, and that was probably about eight years ago. And I hadn't, we talk regularly anyway, but he played for Defected in Malta, and it was my night off, and I was like, right. I'm taking my sunglasses out, I'm bringing the crew, and even eight years later, he still absolutely blew my mind, and he's an incredible producer, he's an amazing person, and yeah, Kerry Chandler, the king, salute. Is he a friend, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's so cool, like, he'll always check in and just say, hey Sammy, how you doing, like, just checking in on you, and because we play a lot on a lot of festival lineups. But we're like passing ships in the night every time. I'll be playing the Friday and he'll be playing the Saturday. So we literally always just miss each other. But it's super cute. He, you know, on my birthday, you know, he'd call me. And yeah, we always check in and send each other little voice notes. Sweet. Right. A final question, Sam, from the box. Say when. Jump off for the final one. And have you ever had an embarrassing moment behind a mic or at the decks? Yes. Recently, <laughs> I was wearing a hairpiece at Ministry of Sound and I could feel that it was kind of slipping out a little bit. And literally, I jumped up on a break and the whole thing fell off. Luckily, two of my best friends were behind me. So I ducked down and they were literally gripping it, putting pins in it. And I jumped up as if nothing had happened. And two weeks previously, I was playing in Manchester and exactly the same thing happened to me. And girls, 
were passing Kirby grips through the dance floor right at the back. And I ended up with about 10 Kirby grips in my hand. My best friend behind me was just kind of putting all the grips in again. So I got rid of it. I just got hair extensions now. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I don't take too much care in how I look now. I'm like, just be natural. (laughs) Sam, I've got one very final question for you. There is some kind of non-specific catastrophic event with a caveat that you, Sam Devine, have to play the last three records on earth. What would those three records be? Oh, Lionel Richie, All Night Long. That's got to be a Tina Turner one. What's Love Got to Do With It? And I'd probably play my boyfriend's remix of my new track. So it's called Face in the Crowd. And I actually wrote it for him with Hayley in the studio at Defected. And then for a surprise, he actually did a remix. So that's super cute. So I played that as my last one. And that's by Cash Only. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's great that you do things like this with artists because I think it's super important. You know, people don't get to see the other side of who you are and for young up-and-coming DJs as well. Maybe they can be inspired and, and learn something as well. So thank you for doing this and thank you for inviting me on. Sam, thank you so much for doing it. And that was How to DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ. Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from.